Hi, my name is Dan Saxton, and this is My Life, Wildlife. I'm the cabins manager here at Kenai National Wildlife Refuge. We're headquartered in Soldatna, Alaska, on the Kenai Peninsula. I grew up um, about an hour outside of New York City, so not exactly a bastion, a hotbed of public lands. But luckily, my grandparents, they had a little summer cottage on a lake in the Catskills. And so, you know, the day after school let out, my mom would pack us up in the car and we'd head up to the lake. Um, and we spent the whole summer up there. And that's where I learned how to swim and sail and row a boat and fish, um, paddle a canoe. And that's really where, you know, I spent my, the most time in the outdoors and, and really got to, you know, spend time in nature. My dad's dad, he was a carpenter, and, and my dad worked with him growing up. And so, you know, on Saturday mornings, we would watch this old house and we Yankee workshop. And so I kind of grew up a, a, around that. And so this job is kind of a, a nice marriage of those, um, of those two things. Before I came here to the refuge, I worked at a nonprofit called Historicorps in Colorado. And um, their model is pretty much like Habitat for humanity, but for historic buildings. And so we would bring in volunteers for a week, or we'd go up into the mountains and camp with them and uh, then work on historic structures, a lot of times log buildings uh, on public lands. And so I saw that this job was posted on USA Jobs and you know, I didn't think there was any way <laughs> I had a shot, you know, just because you hear the stories um, about just how many people can apply for these jobs. And so uh, I was living in Colorado at the time with my wife. She was in school. So it was a particularly kind of a stressful time for her. Um, I saw the job. I applied. I, I didn't tell her. I interviewed. I didn't tell her. And then um, I got the job offer. And so <laughs> that was that was the time, you know, I, I probably cleaned the house and maybe cooked dinner that night. <laughs> she probably, she knew something was up and um, it could have been a lot worse than just, Hey, what do you think about moving up to Alaska and the Kenai Peninsula? So we have about two dozen public use cabins uh, and those are a mix of uh, historic and contemporary cabins. So folks had built trapper and hunting cabins throughout the refuge starting around 1890s. And uh, we're just, we're trying to keep them up and, and keep them in good shape, painting the floors, sanding and refinishing interior and exterior tables, cleaning the chimneys, you know, cleaning windows and doors. We also have some some log restoration and repair work that we do, but for the most part, we're we're talking mostly about maintenance. They were well built, but the builders didn't really have, I don't think, had the vision of them lasting as long as they have. So they were built um, mostly right on the ground, sill logs on the ground. And so my predecessor, um, he's done a lot of the restoration work. So raising the cabins up, replacing the sill logs, um, getting them up off the ground, putting them on um, a, a foundation, um, a pier block foundation and a floor. But generally there, there's a wide range of notches that went into these buildings. And it really just an indication of the skills of the builders and what their needs were. So if this cabin needed to go up quick, you know, it, maybe the logs weren't peeled 
maybe the joinery wasn't quite as fancy as someone who had some time and skill and maybe they were going to spend a lot of time in this cabin um, and you know they really they built it using dovetail notches you know maybe it had a, a second floor loft you know they put extra windows in there things like that just to make it a little more homey for them some of the cabins are associated with some of the mining that took took place as well for sure but generally the cabins were located around you know kind of prime hunting and trapping areas and oftentimes they were separated you know a day's walk between cabins so you would run your trap line and you could stay um, you know you can kind of you can kind of go cabin to cabin to cabin kind of like your children, you know, <laughs> you, you love each of them ind- individually for who they are. And, you know, you can't really pick favorites, but, you know, that said, um, I really like Engineer Lake Cabin. It's uh, one of our roadside cabins. It's, um, you can access it throughout the year. You don't need any special equipment. There's a trail that goes to it, but it also is off of a little bit of a spur trail. So you don't, you have some privacy there. You don't have, um, you know, the look you lose in the, the tire kickers that you might have at another cabin that's directly off of the trail. Um, but it's also on a lake. So if you have a small boat or a, a kayak or a canoe, you can um, get to it. You can ski or snowshoe shoe to it in the winter. It has really nice views of the Kenai mountains. Um, you might be able to, to get a sneak peek of the, the Northern lights, you know, on a clear night um, in the winter when they're out. So that's really neat. Part of coming coming out to our uh, the cabins and staying in them is is really planning your trip, and um, you know making a list and checking it twice on what you're going to need to spend you know one two three nights up to a week in the backcountry in the wilderness. So you really need to think these things through and be prepared. The amenities um, are pretty sparse. We provide a bunk bed or two. Um, a wood stove, an interior table. Um, Oftentimes they'll have an exterior picnic table and a fire pit, uh, a woodshed and an outhouse. You know, it would be nice if we could supply folks with, you know, all the firewood they were gonna need, but, you know, we're a small operation. The uh, the refuge is, you know, around 2 million acres. And um, we just can't guarantee that we would be able to get to the cabins on a regular enough basis to keep them fully stocked for folks. And so that is a surprise for some people, I think when they come in and they see the cabins are pretty bare bones, but you know, hopefully they've done their homework and we send out emails uh, before their stay kind of reminding them, hey, this is a backcountry cabin. You need to provide all these materials and supplies, you know, for you to have uh, a safe and comfortable stay. And it provides, uh, a nice kind of intro to the wilderness for folks. So if there's some concerns about, you know, tent camping in bear country, or if you have smaller kids, you know, a cabin can provide a nice sense of security. Plus, you know, most of the cabins have metal roofs. And so even when it's raining out, you know, you kind of can enjoy the sound of the, you know, raindrops falling on the metal roof. and. It just provides a, a sense of security, I think, for folks, particularly who are new to the to wilderness camping and to the backcountry. For a lot of folks, it's their it's their yearly vacation. You know, they plan 
their trip around a cabin visit. And we've had a, a lot of really nice, um, you know, kind of stories come out of the cabins too. folks getting engaged, folks having a small kind of weddings and uh, folks just come, kind of come back each year. You know, one of the one of my favorite kind of stories is there's a group of dads that take the kids to camp, um, at, stay at one of our cabins every year for Mother's Day. You know, and they give the mothers a break. <laughs> it's neat to see in the logbook, you know, we'll have all types of languages and, you know, folks writing down kind of their story. Um, that's another kind of neat aspect of the cabins is we do keep logbooks in there so folks can, you know, talk about their stay, how they got there, what they did, what they saw. We have had a couple of instances where, you know, folks have gotten into trouble and have found our cabins until help has arrived. Sometimes we'll have folks that, you know, think that we should be leaving more things in the case of an emergency. And I think that's valid. But for folks that have the expectation that we're going to provide these things for them, it could be dangerous. You know, if you are heading out to a cabin in the wintertime and you don't have any firewood, and this is a cabin that's popular and there's not a whole lot of dead and down and dried wood around, you know, that can be a dangerous situation. Oftentimes folks will question us on, hey, well, why don't we leave more food in the cabins? And, you know, that's a real easy one is that food attracts wildlife. It's not just the bears, the small mice and voles, and they can really get in there and make a mess. For sure, you have to be aware that, you know, anywhere on the on the refuge is is bear country. You know, we recommend folks carry bear spray and we haven't had a lot of interactions with bears and renters at the cabins. You know, most of the time folks are are in groups. They're making a lot of noise. They're having fun. It's not really a place where you're going to surprise a bear. We do see signs of, of bears at our cabins. You know, they love to chew on on the outhouses and trim and the wood. We had a bear almost claw through one of our cabins where somebody had left food. You know, if you do encounter a bear, you're going to want to make yourself look big, group up, you know, be prepared to, to kind of back off. And, you know, you're, you're in their home as well. So, you know, any packing list, you're going to want to start with food and water. So while many of the lakes you can pull water from and either filter or boil, you know, it's just convenient um, to, to bring your own water and food. Uh, and we always recommend people bring more than they think they need in case they get weathered out. You're going to want to have sleeping bags and sleeping pads. We do have bunks, but they, you know, they're not cushioned. They're just plywood. Certainly lighting in the, in the wintertime. And even in the summer, it can get kind of dark. And yeah, any of your cooking supplies, and that just can kind of range from, you know, freeze-dried mountain house meals to some people really go all out and bring out, you know, their Dutch ovens and the cast iron and, you know, cooking over the campfire or the wood stove. Deck of cards or some, some games, you know, to kind of keep yourself occupied. Um, you know, your fishing poles. There's uh, rowboats at most of the cabins that you don't need a boat to get to. And so, you know, folks can head out on the lakes and row around and, and fish from the boats. Folks have a real ownership of these cabins and keeping it up and, you know, understand that, you know, these cabins are for everyone. I mean, they're, they're not 
the Fish and Wildlife Service's cabins. They're not the Kenai Refuge cabins. I mean, they literally are are all of our cabins. Every every person has a dozen cabins uh, in the woods in Alaska that that you can visit. And um, yeah, we've been really fortunate with folks um, kind of leaving it better than they they found it. So the Youth Conservation Corps um, is a group of local high school students that come and um, work on the refuge for about two months. And so the cabins program, we try to work with them at least for one week uh, every summer. And um, it is super rewarding for me. You know, I mean, it's really an opportunity for us to pass down some skills, some knowledge and also to, to learn from them and just to see their enthusiasm for being out on the refuge. And we just came back from a week at Nurse's Cabin. So it's a historic cabin on um, Tustamina Lake. And uh, we were building uh, hitching rails for the horse groups that come and use the cabin. It's traditionally a lot of folks access that cabin on horses and they would just be able to tie their horses up to trees. but. The Funny River Fire, I think in 2014, burned all the way up to the cabin and, and kind of, you know, burned up all those trees around there. And so they really didn't have much place to, to tie their horses up to. And so, you know, in an effort to kind of save those remaining trees, you know, we decided that it was in everyone's best interest to have these hitching rails installed. And so, you know, there's there's a lot to it. and. You know, everything from how to read a tape measure to, you know, laying out the site, preparing the site, cutting notches on the logs, how to get something square, level and plumb, um, skills that they can really use throughout the rest of their lives. You know, they you don't have to have to build a hitching rail to to get some some benefit from that. And what was really rewarding is maybe on the third or fourth day, you know, we had cut maybe seven or eight notches. And um, they stayed and, and I was doing day trips. So I came in the morning and they already had everything set up. They were cutting in the notch themselves. They didn't need to ask any questions. They didn't need me to prompt them to say, okay, kids, like now it's time to get to work. You know, they were, they were ready to go and they, they were doing really high quality work. And that was really satisfying, I think, for, for me and the other leaders out there to see these kids kind of you know, put their new skills to work and also have the initiative and, and, you know, to do really quality work that they can have pride in and hopefully they can kind of revisit with their kids and, and maybe even their grandkids um, and tell them about this summer that, you know, they built this, this hitching rail. So, you know, selfishly, I, I think I have probably the greatest job, you know, if not in the Fish and Wildlife Service, then, then here on the refuge, I think. I get to do really cool things. I get to go see, you know, places of the refuge that a whole lot of folks don't get to see, or that's their big trip. You know, I was out on Tustamina Lake last Friday with the biology crew, kind of taking them to do surveys. And, you know, we were all, all over the lake. And, you know, personally, that's just really neat. I do feel that, you know, the Fish and Wildlife Service, it is public service. You know, we are providing a service for folks to come to the refuge and enjoy their public lands, to stay in the cabin so that, you know, they can have these experiences that we get to have every day. I mean, we're fortunate that this is our office.
This has been My Life Wildlife, a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. Producers, Lisa Hupp and Chris Pacheco. Produced and story edited by David Hoffman for Citizen Race Car, audio editing, sound design, and original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Artwork by Michelle Lawson. In Alaska, the employees of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service are shared stewards of world-renowned natural resources and our nation's last true wild places. The lands and waters of this place we call home nourish a vast and unique array of fish, wildlife, and people. Our hope is that each generation has the opportunity to live with, live from, discover, and enjoy the wildness of this awe-inspiring land and the people who love and depend on it.